Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Eccentric, the makers of the K-Box and the new K-Pulley. Guys, flywheel training's really grown in popularity of late, and although it's something that's been around for a while, the simple reason that it's grown in popularity is because it works. We've been lucky to have a K-Box in our weight room for the past three years, and we've seen some really great things when it comes to improving the athlete's ability to change direction, and then looking at our return to play protocols with different lower body injuries with the student athletes. The love-hate relationship that everyone has with the K-Box is now just going to grow more with the addition of the K-Pulley. The ability to do standing presses, pulls, rip-throughs, and knee drive exercises is just going to be another arsenal to our training and another addition to the love-hate relationship that our student-athletes have with the awesome tools that come from Eccentric. Go ahead and hop over to Eccentric.com today to check out what they have. Guys, I can't recommend it enough, and I guarantee you won't be disappointed not just with the products, but with the awesome customer service that Eccentric provides. Hey, everybody. If you enjoy the podcast and the content that it provides, make sure you hop over and check out the all-new Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is a combination of the CVA SPS community and the Rugby Strength Coach community, bringing you what is sure to be the Internet's leading resource for continuing education for strength and conditioning professionals. Combining these two resources has allowed us to bring some of the best content from some of the best minds in the world together for your one-stop shop to better improve the continuing education for not just yourself, but your entire staff. Bringing together all of the lectures from the Rugby Strength Coach community, along with the lectures exclusively done for the Central Virginia Sport Performance community, and all the lectures performed at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar, make this an absolute must for performance coaches around the world. The world-class lectures at the Strength Coach Network are not all that you'll see as well. The discussion in the forums and the support and the career guidance from some of the top practitioners in the world, from people all over the world, makes this an absolute must and a great place for you to network, learn, and grow as a performance professional. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com and use the code CVASPS, that's C-V-A-S-P-S, to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. We're sure you're going to find great value in the Strength Coach Network and are really excited to have you involved. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com and use the code CVASPS to check it out today. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we have an absolutely killer talk with the Associate Professor for Psychology from the University of Minnesota Duluth, Dr. Julie Sloviak. Guys, Dr. Sloviak is going to get right into it, breaking down the what's, why's, and how's behind behavioral analysis and why it's important to coaches. This uh, this talk, guys, Dr. Sloviak is going to run down quite a few rabbit holes and get into examples of how you can look at things, how you can better identify and correct, if corrects the word, some behavior things that are going on with kids and why certain kids act certain ways. This is really an awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Doc, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we've been kind of bouncing on and off about this for, for a little bit now. I'm really excited for this discussion, but let's first, let, let's figure out where you are, what you're at, what you're doing, and, and how you got there. Okay. Um, well, I am an associate professor of psychology at the University of Minnesota Duluth. 
So I um, live in northern Minnesota where it's, I think the temperature is about two degrees this morning when I woke up before you factor in the wind chill. Um, I have my bachelor's in psychology and organizational communication from the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. And I got my master's degree in industrial organizational psychology, um, as well as my PhD in applied behavior analysis from Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. Um, those are a lot of mouthful, long, lengthy um, academic terms um, to basically summarize uh, my academic training is applying um, principles from psychology to workplace and organizational settings. And organizations could be traditional workplaces, but they could also be organizations such as um, sports organizations. Um, I'm a board certified behavior analyst. And um, in addition to being a full-time college professor for the last uh, 10 plus years, I do um, have a side um, gig. Um, I have a coaching consulting company, um, Injual. And um, with that company, I um, work with individuals and organizations to support health, well-being, and um, high-level performance. And at some point, you sleep, and then you also lift some weights every now and then. Yeah, in between all of those other things. <laughs> <laughs> So let's, let's go into this, this behavioral analysis thing. Let's break down kind of what it is and why coaches should care. Like, why is this important for, for sport and strength coaches? Yes. Yeah, so um, behavior analysis is uh, a sub uh, field of psychology and, um, and really behavior analysis, um, the, is, is very um, much similar to natural sciences. So um, just like we have um, laws of physics and chemistry and biology, there are laws of behavior. So behavior analysis is the scientific study of the laws that govern behavior of both human beings and animals. Um, and um, I um, got my doctorate in applied behavior analysis. And so um, applied behavior analysis is focusing on applying the principles of learning and behavior to socially significant behaviors in some meaningful way um, to demonstrate that the interventions that we put into place are responsible for improving the changes that we see in behavior, but we're focused on behaviors that are important to people. And um, there's a, a subfield um, within uh, behavior analysis called behavioral psych, um, behavioral, behavioral sports psychology, my apologies. Um, and basically that's just taking those behavior analytic principles and techniques to enhance performance and satisfaction of athletes, um, as well as others associated with the sport. So not only are we focused on athlete behavior, but we're also focused on coach behavior. I love that, especially because I think all too often coaches look at it as, as kind of a one-way street is it's either their fault or the athlete's fault when some of these wires don't mesh right but really it's it's multi-lane highways going both ways yes exactly so um you know when you're thinking about the overall athletic environment and coaching environment um, there are going to be interactions between the coaches and the athletes there are going to be things that the athletes are doing um, that are going to be influenced by their direct um, interactions with things in, uh, you know, on the field in their environment. Um, but I think what is underestimated is the amount of influence that coaches have 
on the athlete's behaviors. And um, there are um, years worth of um, research in behavioral sports psychology identifying those specific behaviors that coaches engage in um, that will influence and have a positive or a negative impact on athletic performance. So then when people are looking at, at these sort of things and, and this science, mm-hmm. when a coach is trying to better understand what they can do with this and why they should be looking deeper down this rabbit hole, what is some advice you could give to them in that realm? Well, I think, you know, one of the things um, to, um, to keep in mind is the, the overall context of our behavior. So um, within the field of behavior analysis, we often talk about this three-term contingency. And the three terms within that contingency are antecedents, behavior, and consequences. And antecedents are going to be um, those things in the physical or the social environment um, that prompt or trigger or come before the behavior of interest. So if we are interested in um, in, in assessing kind of an athlete's behavior, maybe um, they're failing to complete required practice drills or planned practice drills. Um, Some of the things that might prompt or trigger that behavior might be some of the self-talk that the athlete is having, such as, I'm going to lose the game for my team, or I'm not the only one on this team. Like, there are a lot of other people um, who can pick up the slack. Or it could be a prompt from a a coach um, saying um, that, you know, telling the athlete that they need to practice harder um, or more often. And um, all of those things come before the athlete's behavior of failing to complete their planned practice drills. So antecedents are the first part of that three-term contingency. The behavior itself is the second term in that contingency. And then consequences are the third term in that contingency. So that's where we're looking at everything that happens after the behavior of interest. And in this case, if we're looking at that same behavior of failing to complete planned practice drills, um, some of the consequences might be poor timing and skill. Uh, another consequence might be irritability, um, which that irritability um, could be irritability of the athlete or of the coach. Um, it could Another consequence could be arguments with the teammates or uh, with coaches. And um, another consequence might be that the athlete just has a quick fuse or even the coach has a quick fuse. So we're really looking at the entire context of the behavior. We're looking at Um, physical variables within the environment. We're looking at um, social variables, um, looking at those interactions. Um, But then there's also the individual's own behavior, and some of that behavior might be stuff that we can't see, such as their self-talk or the thoughts that they're having. Um, And that can be kind of a gray area um, for coaches because we can only observe what we can directly see somebody do or hear somebody say. So what I like to say is we can only see what people are doing with their hands and their feet and their mouth, um, but we can't see what's happening inside of their mind. But we know that there are things that are happening inside of the individuals, um, their emotions, their feelings, their thoughts, physical sensations that they're having that are also influencing behavior. So I think um, just you know, the, the biggest um, you know, tip that I would have for coaches is to recognize that there are a lot of different variables um, that are influencing an athlete's behavior at any given time. Some of those things that we can directly see within the environment and some of those things that 
um, we might have to probe for information um, in order to better understand what's going on with an athlete. Totally. And I think then what we need to keep going down with is I think for the most part, coaches are pretty good with the eyes thing mm-hmm. when it comes to seeing and noticing and those sort of things. But Certainly. the probing and the prying may be where a lot of us have a hard time because it isn't as black and white. Like the ball didn't go in the basket or out. Like, so right. what, are, what are some advice you could give to coaches when it comes to like ways to take a step back and uh, is it, this might sound weird, but probe, but don't prod. Is that kind of like how yeah. you would say it? Yeah. So, um, so one of the things, um, so I, I not only work with um, coaches of athletes, but I work with managers in organizations. So you can think of managers as being the coaches and employees being the athletes in that situation. Um, and one of the things that I frequently recommend is that they sort of have these check-in meetings um, on a regular basis. They can be really quick um, and that check-in meeting Um, can be to kind of highlight some of the things that you notice that that individual has been doing well, um, you know, over the course of the past week, or even, you know, during the immediate practice beforehand. Um, But, you know, then it can also be a way for, um, to open up those lines of communication. Because I think one of the things that you'll find is that individuals are more likely to tell you about those thoughts, those feelings, those emotions that are showing up for them, if that relationship and um, some amount of trust has been um, established between those two individuals. And uh, you know, one of the things that um, I hear commonly is that people are afraid to share those thoughts, feelings, emotions, because they're afraid that there's going to be a negative consequence on, um, on, on what they're able to do, whether it's able to do at work. You know, maybe it's like, well, my, my boss isn't going to allow me to uh, work on this project because they know that I have some Um, self-doubt about the skills that I have in that area. An athlete might feel the same way. Like, I don't want to tell coach that I'm struggling with this because then maybe he won't give me as much time on the field during the next game. Um, And so I think, um, you know, it's the the importance of communication and um, and specifically the coach um, has to establish um, that culture within the, the sports organization to, um, you know, to let athletes know that they can come to them, share these things, and that there aren't going to be negative ramifications for sharing and talking about those things that might, that they might be struggling with that might influence their behavior. And it can become a conversation and more of a problem solving approach instead of um, feeling like you're, you're prodding um, just to get information out of them. So then where would you put like autonomy within the athletes in the realm of this sort of continuum that you're going through right now so when you're talking about autonomy autonomy in in what way oh with student athletes nowadays there almost seems to need to be some form of autonomy in every way um but when it comes to decisions what's going on how directions programs and teams are going things of that nature hmm um yeah, when, it, when, when we're talking about, uh, people like to feel as though they are the ones making those decisions, right? So when we're talking about, um, you know, having that element of autonomy and, you know, within, um, within athletics, you know, it could be as simple as, um, you know, giving the, 
the various options um, that you know would be acceptable and then you know allowing them to choose um, so you can certainly build in autonomy within structure if that kind of makes sense Maybe there are, you know, five different options and it's like, okay, you know, it's a choose your own adventure. You know, they feel better about them being able to make that choice. Um, and um, in, in that case, you're going to see higher levels of performance as well, because they're probably going to be choosing things that, um, you know, some people are going to choose things that they know that they're good at. Other people are going to choose things that maybe they know that they want to strengthen. And um, so that element of autonomy can certainly play into a higher level of performance overall. Yeah, and I think that a lot of it too, when it, when it allows them to kind of fit into how they handle situations, they're going to end up picking what's best for the team more often than not. Yes, yes, certainly. Yeah, um, you know, when I have individuals come to me um, with an, an issue that they're, so a client comes to me with an issue that they're struggling with, we usually talk through a variety of different options and then I put it back on them. Okay, you know, of these options that we've talked about, um, all of these that seem acceptable to you, which one are you going to choose? And, um, and you know, they leave feeling like they can take ownership now of the next steps that they're, um, that they're going to, to take. Um, going to take sorry about that <laughs> my phone my phone is blowing up today as you can imagine <laughs> oh i'm sure it is um with what today is and all but so yeah. let's let's continue down that then so then when we're looking at these one thing that can be really kind of different than the the business world mm -hmm. in the sports world is there can be some extremely brash clashes of personalities. Mm -hmm. So how then is this going to be something where not just identifying, but molding and identifying individuals that fit into situations? Like how can coaches look at these behavioral analyses mm -hmm. or these techniques mm -hmm. and maybe utilize this in player selection or recruiting or things of that nature? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the things that um, often needs to be done in, in that case is identifying kind of what are the values of that organization, of that team. And this can be something um, that is, you know, done at the beginning. One of the, one of the things I think is a really useful um, technique is, you know, at the beginning of the season, a conversation has had is like, what is our shared purpose as a team? And out of that conversation, you kind of identify, you know, what, um, you know, what does the team value as a whole? And then you can, once you've identified kind of those values, then you can have a conversation about, okay, well, if our team values um, teamwork and communication and honesty, then what are the specific behaviors that we would see or the things that we would hear people say that would then when we see people do those things or hear people say those things we're like oh yeah we can tell that they really do value teamwork or communication or honesty because these are the things that we see them doing and here are the statements that we hear them saying that are aligned with those values um, so that's one way to really strengthen the culture and um, identify kind of the shared purpose for the team moving forward. And then that can be used as a way to kind of set up expectations for incoming 
athletes, right? So, you know, these are the values of our, of our team. These are the behaviors that map onto those values. And if you want to be a member of this team, here's kind of what we expect of you. And, um, and that can set up a, you know, a really nice um, way to have a conversation um, with incoming student athletes about what the expectations are to be a member of this team. And, um, you know, and then as one another are seeing um, each other engage in those behaviors, the athletes themselves can, you know, provide kind of verbal praise or, you know, acknowledge somehow um, that the individual is engaging in values aligned behavior, but then the coaches can also use that as an opportunity to provide positive reinforcement for engaging in those behaviors that um, are part of the identity of the team. So then this would really be a way of kind of leveling the playing field between different learning styles and different personality types. Yeah, I think, you know, regardless of the, of somebody's personality type, which I would argue that, you know, when we put a label on somebody's personality, what we're really doing is we're describing their general pattern of behavior, right? Um, so people who tend to have these brash personalities tend to engage in a group of um, dis distinct behaviors. Um, but those behaviors, um, just like any other behavior, are governed by the same general principles of, of learning behavior. Um, and so, uh, you know, what we want to do is we want to identify what are the desired behavior for individuals on our team. And we want to make sure that we're providing positive consequences, um, which might be in the form of um, just verbal praise and acknowledgement, but we can also be providing um, positive uh, feedback. Um, when we see those behaviors um, happening. And, um, and then when for those behaviors that kind of go against the, the values of the team, um, then we look at different ways to arrange the contingencies. And there are, there are principles that we use in behavior analysis um, that we can apply to decrease those behaviors. And in some case, it might be, um, you know, that we, we, put into place some negative consequences. Um, it might also be um, a situation in which we take away access to um, something that that individual wants, kind of like a timeout um, in, in some ways, shapes and forms. Um, and there are other behaviors that we can simply stop providing um, positive reinforcement for. Um, kind of one of the, the key things that we talk about in behavior analysis is if a behavior is occurring, the person is getting something that they want from it, okay? So, um, so if, you know, if they're tantruming, um, if they're being aggressive, um, then whatever the consequences are that are maintaining that behavior are consequences that are positive for that individual. So as a coach, as a teammate, you might be like, why the heck are they doing it? Well, because it's allowing them to get something that they do want or it is allowing them to avoid or escape from something that they don't want. Um, and so I like to kind of use the analogy um, of, you know, the tantruming child in the grocery store. Okay, so you're waiting to check out. The kid is tantruming because they want the candy that they can see right next to um, the checkout lanes. And, you know, what does the parent do? Their child is tantruming in the, in the store, right? Um, so what, what is the most likely response from a parent in that situation? 
Well, I can tell you what my mother did, but I, I don't know if I should say that <laughs> if I'm recording it. Um, I mean, it's either it's either they give it to them or it's you get the you know like the wait till your mother or wait till your father hears about this line. Right. Yeah. Or wait till we get to the car. Exactly. So you know, in 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 the case where you know um, the parent kind of gives in and gives the child the candy, well, what did the child just learn? If they tantrum they get candy, right? So what are they more likely to do the next time they go to the store? They're more sure, likely sure. to tantrum. Um, and so in that case, we've actually positively reinforced an undesired behavior. And that's a really simple example, but that happens all the time in our social interactions with individuals. If you think about you know, sarcastic or snarky remarks that people will make to one another, um, those that one of the consequences of engaging in that type of behavior could be the simple reaction that the other person is having. So that person finds it positively reinforcing to see the reaction of somebody after they engage in a sarcastic or snarky remark. Um, and so, you know, once we, once we start, you know, really breaking down and looking at a specific behavior, um, we can determine what contingencies, what things are, are maintaining that behavior. And once we know the function of the behavior, what's maintaining the behavior, then we can set up new contingencies that will allow us to increase desired behaviors and decrease desired, desired behavior, undesired behaviors. That's interesting. So then how... So for example, like a player who uh, excessively responds to referees, mm -hmm. like how is that then a situation where you can identify what they're looking for or is it just something that you would say they're just looking to pass the buck for a mistake? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so in that case, um, well, we would look at, you know, what happens after they do that? Like sometimes do they get what they want? More often than not, you, you don't get anything you want from a referee, whether you're complaining or not. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but might they have every once in a while? Um, yeah, blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then, I guess. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. so, you know, in, in that case, um, and, and it might not even have anything to do with the ref. So um, by engaging in that same type of behavior, but in a different context, at some point they may have been reinforced for engaging in that behavior, right? Um, so maybe it's arguing with their coach or arguing with a, a teacher if they're a student athlete. But, you know, and so then that behavior, if it's been reinforced by others, um, you know, with the ref, it could just simply be a generalization of that behavior, kind of a transfer of that behavior now in a new context. And so they're gonna try it, right? Um, it's like, it's like my dog. My dog has been trained not to jump up on me when I enter my home, but darn it, he's going to test it with every other person that comes through that door because every once in a while, somebody he gets all excited when he does that. So he gets that positive reinforcement. And we say in, in, when we have behaviors that have been intermittently reinforced, so every once in a while, we get the desired consequence from engaging in this behavior, those behaviors are going to be much harder to decrease because every once in a while, I get what I want for engaging them in that behavior. Um, so it could be similar to like gambling. Why do people gamble? Because every once in a while, they hit the jackpot and they win. Um, so that's a, you know, a type of behavior that's going to be um, difficult um, to decrease. Um, so arguing 
excessively would also be one of those behaviors that probably in some cases has been reinforced and therefore is going to be harder to um, extinguish or decrease. So what you're saying in a roundabout way is that every aspect of a student athlete's life matters. And if we let them get away with something in one sense, it's going to show up in the rest. Um, it's, it's very likely that that can happen. So yes, so a behavior that has um, been reinforced in one context um, is likely to generalize to other similar contexts. So if it's been reinforced in, in the home with parents who might be looked at as um, an, an element of authority, then um, that behavior might show up in the classroom it might show up on the field or in practice um, with other people who that individual looks at as um, a, a person of authority. Uh, and so, you know, unfortunately, that's, you know, one of, it's a good thing and a bad thing that behavior is generalized to different contexts. Sometimes we want to have that transfer of training um, to, to occur. Um, like we want behaviors that we encourage, we shape, we develop in practice to transfer to the field when we're in competition. Um, but unfortunately, other behaviors, um, we don't want to generalize, um, but they do. And so that's um, where when that type of thing happens, though, we can do um, discrimination training, where, you know, we just have to apply different contingencies so that the individual starts to learn that it's okay to engage in that behavior in this context, in this situation, but it's not okay to engage in this same behavior in another context. And, um, you know, so it's just going to require more time. But once we identify that behavior, we can set up um, the contingencies um, correctly um, to help that individual learn to discriminate between the two different situations. I love it. Doc, this is all fascinating and sensational stuff. Where are people gonna be able to find more, learn more about what you're doing, figure out how they can use these tools better to help better the kids they work with? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, um, the Association for um, Behavior Analysis International, ABAI, um, is one, um, where, one place where you can start to learn more about the field of behavior analysis. Um, within that organization, um, we have a health, sport, and fitness SIG, a special interest group for which I am chair. Um, so we're always um, looking, we're, you know, looking to increase um, dissemination of this information to the general public. And there are a group of us who are really interested in doing behavioral sports psychology. Um, but I, you know, if people want to get in touch with me to find out more information, um, they can go to um, my website, which is injewelcoaching.com. It's I-N-J-E-W-E-L-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G.com. Um, and I'm happy to, you know, provide resources, um, you know, whether it's, you know, providing um, information for articles and readings or even providing some one-on-one -on -one, um, consultation. Awesome. And there's always some things getting thrown up on your Instagram as well that people can yes. keep in touch with too. Yes. So my Instagram handle is um, Julie Sloviak PhD. So J-U-L-I-E-S-L-O-W-I-A-K-P-H-D. And um, I'm trying to um, put more informative um, tidbits up on my Instagram, um, specifically related to um, behavioral sports psychology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely some of the, the more recent stuff. 
uh, has been really awesome that you've put up there. Yeah. It's also proof that not just exercise physiologists are gym rats, which is awesome too. (laughs) Yeah. I I get a lot of um, um, flack from my students because uh, they they know that I spend um, much of my evenings in the gym trying to throw around some heavy weights, but um, it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. Um, I can't tell you the benefits that I um, get from doing that, that my students probably should appreciate it more than they do. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. And you're kicking butt with it. So doc, can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today. This is fantastic. And uh, people are going to love it. Hopefully this helps to, you know, drive some coaches to discuss and dig deeper, you know, and run down these rabbit holes because they are things that can help us. You know, when we talk about, the weight room being the culture place. Yeah. Well, you better understand how you're building that culture. And exactly. it can't just be push the prowler. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, cult- the culture um, of a team, of an organization is um, based on the behaviors that the majority of those folks are engaging in. And so um, what, what better way to create a good culture than to identify the behaviors that you want to see people engaging in? No doubt. Well, Doc, truly grateful for the time today. This is fantastic, and uh, we'll be in touch real soon. And a huge thank you to Dr. Julie Sloviak for spending the time with us today. Guys, open, honest, candid sharing. Dr. Sloviak is right in the front line when it comes to looking at how all of these sciences work together in the training environment to help better teams, help better organizations. I cannot thank her enough for spending the time with us and being so open, honest, and candid with her sharing with us today. This is absolutely sensational. You know, this this idea of these social aspects of coaching have really come to the forefront of late. Um, obviously, a lot of that is thanks to Brett Bartholomew and the great work that he's done. But Dr. Julie Sloviak is absolutely killing it up there and everything she's doing from the special interest groups to her website to the information she's sharing on social media is really She's becoming a sensational resource to really help coaches become better. And I personally can't thank her enough, not just for her time today, but for everything she's doing to make coaches better. So, Doc, keep up the awesome work. We see, we see everything you're doing up there and are truly grateful for all that you're doing to help us be better. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. Again, we are just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.